I'm Jill Shaw, and you're listening to Last Night's School Committee. Ross Wilson and I are here to summarize for you what happened last night during the Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. Good morning, Ross. Good morning, Jill. This was the first meeting of the 2023-2024 school year, and we welcomed a new member to the school committee, Ms. Chantelle Lima Barbosa, graduate of the Burke High School. And uh, it was great to have her as part of the meeting last night. Jill, the meeting opened up with a report from attorney Natasha Tidwell on alleged discrimination against administrators of color in Boston Public Schools. So Jill, you may remember that this was originally raised by an administrator in BPS, and then it was further raised to the attention of the school committee through a letter to the superintendent by a number of black administrators, former administrators of Boston Public Schools, saying there's discrimination happening against administrators of color, and they were being put on administrative leave at a higher rate than anybody else. And ultimately, last night, Jill, what we heard from Attorney Tidwell's report was that there was no finding of discrimination. But in fact, the attorney said, it does not seem like there's any disparate treatment happening here based on race. However, the attorney did state that there are policies that should be tightened up in BPS around a couple of different areas around this leave issue. I mean, it's interesting, though, because I don't know that this was clear in the discussion yesterday, but this was a discussion uh, with the current superintendent about things that happened during the last administration. So under Brenda Consilius's um, Yeah, I mean, under, in fact, right, it was like 2019 to 2022, which is actually under... Dr. Casilius's administration. Right. And there was an issue on not being able to answer questions about this very quickly because uh, there w- the data was not easy to access. That just, I mean, you used to run the office. This was Where'd very, the data go? Yeah. I mean, we're talking about a few dozen investigations that right. are potentially happening here. Um, I think the number was like 37 reported in total. And so there, yeah, there was a question of like, why has this taken so long to report it's on? Just, it's just like this. I mean, it's like again and again and again. This is all backlash from the prior administration. You know, like people weren't getting paid, you know, during the yeah. prior administration. We data was hard to find. It wasn't in the right places. Like, like it, it, I just wonder, you know, is the cleanup done now? And does the current administration have access to the data that it needs in order to run the district? And so hopefully this is rectified going forward. And if it is true they didn't have that data, I mean, again, we've raised this over and over again. There really needs to be a full audit of all BPS's data processes to ensure <laughs> that they're tracking these important data. Well, and who's in charge of that stuff, right? Like, so hopefully the current administrative team, it, you know, has has their act together. And this is this is all being um, this is all kind of backwards supposed to be and easy to access and easy to use in order to run the system. After the presentation of that report, the superintendent's report occurred on back to school. So Jill, it's actually pretty positive report. Yeah. Like we heard from the superintendent that we have just over 100 teacher vacancies. And last year, that number was hundreds and hundreds of teacher vacancies. We heard from the superintendent that we're almost fully hired on transportation. I think we actually, she said we are fully hired on all the bus drivers and bus monitors. This has been in the news recently. There's so many districts across the state who are not able to hire bus drivers, but BPS seems to have a fully staffed bus drivers. And we heard about food service workers. Great increase in number of food service workers so that all these kitchens can open up this year and and kids can be getting fresh food. It was a very positive report from the superintendent on the basics of hiring in our schools and across our district. 
We did hear a question, a little further question here from Vice Chair O'Neill about bus drivers. Where do we stand on the drivers uh, doing their bids and actually doing the practice runs and how we're feeling about, you know, there's always some challenges on those first couple of days. Um, so, Superintendent, how are we feeling about that actual yeah. startup the first few days? I, I'm really glad to hear the staffing numbers and having the backups, but how are we feeling about doing the practice routes, et cetera? And then Dan Rosengard, who's the head of transportation, responded with this answer. Both our driver and monitor bids happened successfully last week, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of last week. And our big focus between now and the start of the year is making doing those final checks and making sure that drivers are doing those practice runs. So we've been working closely with TransDev on that and getting daily updates there. As of earlier today, I believe we had just crossed the 50% mark of drivers completing their practice runs, and we're going to keep pushing that until the first day of school. So, Jill, I'm not uh, um, I'm not feeling great about only 50% of the routes having been tested so far when we're about a week away from school. Well, why is that? Last week, Mr. Rosengard said that the routes were bid on. Basically, the routes are identified and the drivers by seniority order choose their routes. Okay. And then once the routes are chosen by those drivers, they should be tested, right? The drivers should go out and test the routes to ensure- Why do they have to test the routes? Well, for two, a couple of reasons. One, sometimes the route may have a flaw in it, right? When, when you have like thousands of Like you end up in routes, a dead end. You may something. end up like a dead end yeah. street, right? Or, okay. or it may be something that leads you somewhere that is really not conducive to a fast trip. Right, right. right. So you want to test it for that, but you also want to test it for familiarity, right? A lot of bus drivers may not be familiar with the route that they're driving. Yeah. And they should, you know, before the first day of school, you want them to drive the full route to become very familiar mm -hmm. with the route. And with only 50% of routes been driven so far, it does, there is some liability here that you don't want the driver driving the first day and then being late to school with a lot no, of No, it makes total bus. sense. You want, and you want to know where all your pickups are and where all your drop-offs are, right? Because you don't want to lose kids. Another policy that happens with school bus drivers is that in October, all of these routes will be changed again. There'll be a huge Why reshuffling. Is that? Because um, there are actually typically fewer kids than they, what the, are planned the for. The routes may change a little bit. They may become optimized. There may be less kids and, and yeah. they shift. And then at that time, the bus drivers again rebid by seniority order all the routes. And so you know, families argue about this all the time. They're like, we got we just got used to our bus yeah. driver and then you change our bus driver and there's flux again in the system. So Jill, we'll have to see about it is great to know that we're full we're fully staffed on the on the bus drivers and bus monitors. And uh, we'll have to see how the school year starts off next uh, next Thursday. So it was interesting though, Ross, right? So there's a report on the numbers of hires and the numbers of positions filled. And on that count, the school committee was very happy to see that there were many fewer open positions than there were last year. There was not any conversation about the quality of folks who have been hired. And so it was just interesting, I think, a part of the conversation that was left out. And, and so it sort of speaks to, in my mind, how, how, is, how, are, how is school committee assessing the performance of uh, the superintendent and her team? It sounds like for them, it's a numbers game. It, it, we did not hear anything about quality of outcomes. Typically in this kind of presentation, at this time of school year, we would hear about the qualifications of new hires. Okay. So we would typically hear 
you know, how many of these teachers hold more than one certification, right? Because ultimately you want to have teachers who are certified in both the content area and maybe special education or maybe multilingual learners, right? They, you want to yeah. have multiple certifications. Right. We would also hear a lot about sort of the experience of those teachers. You know, how many are in their first year? How many in their first three years? How many in their first five years? We could sort of understand that. And we did hear that when it came to principals because we didn't, there, there was not much turnover. Strong retention of right. principals, but we didn't hear anything about teachers. Yeah, and typically we also hear about the race, ethnicity, and the culture or the language of the teachers yeah. to understand how many speak another language or how many represent the racial demographics of the students they're serving. Um, and we didn't hear any of that last night. We've kind of become satisfied, Jill, with the basic number at this point, right? We're sort of like, oh, good, we just have enough rather than get, and, and we haven't gotten back to the practice of understanding who are these educators who are in front of our kids every day. A question was raised last night by Brandon Cardet Hernandez, who has raised this question before. He's saying, look, we still have a, a, some vacancies, or a little over 100 vacancies, and we're, we may open up the year with uncertified teachers in classrooms. I will ask the same question that I will probably ask every year, which is when will families get information that their child it does not have a certified teacher, and what can they do with that information? So Ross, just out of curiosity, what would you do? If you were one of those parents who was told that one of your children didn't have a certified teacher this year. Well, so, so Jill, I, I, look, I, I, the quality of teachers is so important to every one of our students. Yeah. And last year we had so many uncertified teachers. We would assume that if they're uncertified, that the quality may be less than a certified teacher. Right. And Jill, really, if you have more than two years, like if you have two years of ineffective teaching, it's almost like you, the research says you can't rebound from that as a student. Like you, there is no rebound. Huh. You may be able to rebound from a year, but more than a year, there's no way you can rebound. Well, that's kind of crazy because, I mean, especially on top of what we already know about how much learning loss happened during the pandemic, on top of what we knew was already substantial learning, that kids were a year or two years behind. So if you don't have great teaching for two years in a row, that's also setting you behind significantly. This is, I mean, you begin to see where the problem comes in, you know, that's right. education that's delivered in a subpar way. That's right. So, so I, 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 you know, you asked me, what would I do? I would ask for com uh, compensatory services. If your child has a disability and they don't get the special education services that they require on their IEP, yeah. their individualized education plan, um, they get comp service, I should say. So Meaning get, that the district pays for your child to go to a district where they can get the services or, or, that... Or they'll pay for extra tutoring. Okay. They'll pay for summer ah, programming. Okay. They'll pay for... They'll find resources okay. for your child that to make up for what you've missed. There you go. And I think that's what we should be talking about here. If your child is in a classroom without a, a certified teacher, one, you should be offered a seat with a certified teacher or right. compensatory services for your child. Mr. Cadet Hernandez raises this issue each time. The superintendent responded to Mr. Cadet Hernandez saying, this will be something we should talk about in the fall when we have our final numbers. Right. So we'll see how that plays out. And that's basically what then the superintendent moved on to in our discussion was the reporting on enrollment. That's right, Jill. So again, we hear this magical number of 50,000. We're just over 50,000 students in Boston Public Schools. We have a little over uh, 50,000 um, enrolled. Now, this is less than the number of students last year at this time, and this will change. This number typically goes down. Last year went down by a few thousand because a number of students don't report to school. And so that number will be solidified on October 1st, but it, but it, we should expect it to be somewhere in the mid to high 40,000s. 
We heard from the superintendent that the number of multilingual learners who are coming into our district has risen about by about 20%. Our multilingual learner numbers are up about 20% from where they were last year, and they were up last year a great deal from the year before. That's a big number. And she also said that we have somewhere over 300 new students who are coming into the district require special education services. If I recall, it's about 350 additional special education students have registered. And so it's hard to say on the do not report what percentage um, we will we will kind of see at the day's end. I can say that the uh, the enrollment center is a happening place every day, and uh, as is our testing centers. And then Dr. Elkins asks how many of the new teachers are MLL certified. Do we have a breakdown of that? Maybe I missed it. A breakdown of those new teachers with respect to ESL certifications. And the superintendent responds with this. Uh, we don't have that prepared for tonight, but we can certainly get that to you. Yeah. I mean, right now, OHC is really focused on hiring and onboarding, and I'm trying to keep their focus on onboarding and hiring so we get the vacancies. Um, but we'll we'll do our best to get data pulled once we start to kind of clear the deck of, of folks for onboarding. So, I mean, this is kind of a crazy quote in a way in that it sort of does acknowledge what we just were talking about, that right now the district's focused on filling vacancies, but doesn't necessarily have a handle on the quality of the hires that they've made. And in general, Jill, it's interesting with multilingual learners, like what is the strategy, right? Like what is the, how are we going to educate an increasing number of multilingual learners in a district that hasn't clearly articulated sort of what the instructional focus is for those students? Between, Ross, between students who need multilingual learner support and students who need have special learning needs. Are we talking about a majority of students at this point in the district? Well, I went to go look this up, Jill, to try to figure out the demographics of BPS. Yeah, right. So I go on the BPS website and it, it, we don't have updated website numbers uh, for demographics since 2018-19. Is, is those, those are the last numbers. Those are last So this is also goes back to the prior administration <laughs> right, right. where I guess we stopped supplying we stopped data to the public. Yeah. So Great. we don't we don't know, but we can certainly we know that the number of multilingual learners has gone up dramatically year over year. We don't know the exact number. It would be great if BPS updated their website to tell us that. And it would be really wonderful to know what the strategy is. Jill, moving on to a simpler topic. Oh, a, <laughs> and, a bright, a bright topic. And a bright spot, uh, school food, school food. So Jill, it was also reported by the superintendent last night that 86 kitchens will be activated coming up for the first day of school. So that means, you know, I think the number was about 50 last year. Mm -hmm. And then by, I think in November, we'll have 22 more. So well over a hundred schools and students in those schools will be able to have beautiful My Way Cafe food this year. So there's a new um, head of the department, um, and she's terrific and has a really wonderful vision that aligns with the vision that the school district had for My Way Cafe. L lots of options that will be supported, including Halal, which is yeah. fantastic. Yep. I can't wait to see how they do that. It really was exciting, I think, to the vice chair. Uh, vice Chair O'Neill said this. Thank you. I do look forward to hearing that. I'm thrilled we're doing halal and kosher meals. I look forward to hearing what we're doing about vegetarian, gluten-free as well, and that the meals are actually healthy. You know, oh, yeah. it can be made by scratch, but that they're healthy. I know we had started down that direction <laughs> in a wonderful way with the My Way Cafes, and I'd love to see a oh, thank you vegetarian available every day. Excellent. And so I, 
you know, we're excited to see it. It's really wonderful. It's really yeah. wonderful that we're kind of through the pandemic, that they've been able to fill so many positions and that they're going to be caring, loving adults, providing wonderful meals to and kids I, across the district again. And Jill, I would love to hear, you know, if anybody has comments about the school food, you know, please send them to us because it, it'll be fun to see how the school food is working this year. Yeah, it's great. So uh, then there was a bit of a discussion on facilities. So first up, the district will be releasing reports. There'll be a rubric that is decided upon by school committee members. There'll be an online tool, I think accessible to the public, that will share everything that the district has learned over the past year about all of its facilities. So that's going to be interesting to play with. It doesn't sound like, though, there will be immediately a set of recommendations for facilities, meaning will any of them be closed down? Will there be work done on any? Will there be new buildings? Doesn't sound like that's yet on the horizon. Did you kind of get that? It, that's, that's what I got too, Jill. I, yeah. I, I've, uh, I've heard that there are some reports out there, Jill, that facilities reports that basically provide a score for every school across the district. Which which there was one before, right? Yes. Because yes. The, Mayor Walsh had the same sort this of was, thing commissioned by McKinsey and so exactly. there was, yeah. It was, it was um, it, that was part of Build BPS. And so it's probably gonna look like that one, except for buildings are in worse condition. Now, I think that's right, <laughs> I think that's right. And then the big question will be, okay, thank you, you know, thank you. We see that our buildings are in massive need. Yeah. What is the plan? What do we do about it? And for those who are waiting for the punchline of like, what are they gonna do about it? We, we have no idea. Uh, what we do know is they're going to be put out a bunch of information, a bunch of tools, and then I guess maybe sometime this winter we'll begin to hear recommendations. But it but it leads right into the next thing that she talked about, which were soft landings. So the, Jill, this is super interesting. The superintendent, when she talked about ESSER, this is back in the budget process from last year, she said she was ending the use of ESSER for positions and that she was going to move all soft landings to ESSER. Right. Over 80% of our schools get soft landings. That means that they literally, their budget can't afford to, the school can't be open because their classrooms are not enrolled to a high enough degree to actually afford the teacher and all the staff. So, so the soft landing provides the salaries for teachers that are not supported by the expected student-teacher ratio. Exactly, exactly. And so what we know is that we have about $300 million left in ESSER funding for this year. Right, so, the, um, the Globe reported that number. That's right, the Boston Globe said there's the BPS out of like, I think a little over 400 million, they have about 300 million left. Supposedly that is supporting, you know, things like air conditioners and bathrooms and so on. Mm. But it's also supporting a bunch of uh, unfilled classrooms across the, which the is, school system. Which is kind of a bummer because if you think about that, we spent money on positions that are not actually supported in a business model for the district. And we didn't use the money for investments that could have lasted for a decade or more, right? right? Like if we had just redone every bathroom, if we had just, you know, built athletic facilities where we could, whatever it is, like those things would have lasted for well beyond this year. Instead, we're funding positions that don't even aren't even supported by the well, business model. And, and here's the big and question. They're gonna, and they're going to be gone. That's because, the big question, yeah. right? It's a, it, the, this is a huge year for Boston Public Schools. Uh, you know, as we've talked about, enrollment has been declining and, and, and ESSER money is going away. So the district will be have to deal with what are they going to do for classrooms that are half empty? How will they sustain them or not? And how will they close them or merge them? Also, this is coming right along, Jill, with inclusive practices. So moving from students from sub-separate classrooms into inclusive classrooms is going to cost a significant amount of money for that transition. Because typically you need to invest 
like two X when you're integrating a classroom. Because you're right? doing both, you've got right? to do both supports, right? Right. So you're 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 sort of transitioning in, so your costs kind of double. So this is going to be a huge, you know, budget year and huge implications for schools going forward. And we also know, Jill, for high schools in particular, they're under-enrolled. And there's been an announcement that we're expanding Madison Park and the O'Brien, which is going to further provide further instability for other high schools. And so the big question is, what's going to happen with the overall high school footprint after next year? Well, and part of that conversation happened last night because there happened to be a presentation on the revised admissions policy for Madison Park. So Jill, I think it was back in May, there was a presentation on admissions policy for Madison Park High School, which is what other vocational programs are doing across the state. They're all having some level of admissions policy. And so at Madison Park, the recommendation last time was to have an artifact and two letters of recommendation in order to get into Madison Park High School. They came back with revised admissions policy because people were fearful that would provide too high of a barrier for students to get into Madison Park. And so the new policy that was recommended last night was a simple letter of interest from a student to enroll in vocational education programming at Madison Park High School. And it seemed like everybody was pretty pleased with this recommendation. Right. And then Mr. Cadet Hernandez asked this question about enrollment at Madison Park. Does this now mean that students will not be administratively placed at Madison? And I know we had talked about, I think it was 30% of the population right now is administratively placed, will there be a moratorium on that policy and what would that look like and when? And the superintendent offered this answer. So I think the 2200 number that got floated out there, I think, you know, that's going to depend at day's end on what happens with the programming. I also think it takes into effect the seventh and eighth grade cohorting, which right now for Madison doesn't exist. So determining what numbers those would be in seventh and eighth grade, what, you know, and then understanding that So, wait a minute. So the seventh and eighth grade in Madison Park, we had not heard about. Never heard of that. So it sounds like that's something that has come up and the superintendent was chewing on it, was thinking about it as she was answering Mr. Cardet Hernandez's question. There's a lot going on in here, right? Because first you have the conversation about like administratively assigned students. So 30% administratively assigned, meaning the, the student didn't pick Madison Park. They just got randomly assigned to that school. And that school right. is a vocational school, meaning then that they had to pick a vocational track, even though they didn't even know that's, they didn't necessarily know that that's what or, or they, were they didn't to. they didn't want that, right? And, and, yeah, and they didn't pick. So, so this admissions policy... The first question is, will you end administrative assignment at Madison Park High School with this new admissions policy? If every student has to have a letter of intent or a letter of interest, then you wouldn't administratively assign other students to the school. That, well, that would be the But reason. the answer was, was we don't know. We got to see what happens and how does seventh and eighth grade play into this, which also then says, well, in seventh grade, you're going to Choose make a, a student, like right, right. make a decision about that. Yeah. So, so yeah, right. So, so we have a few things. Well, let's just go back though. Administratively assigned students. If you don't have administrative assigned students at Madison Park High School, where are they going to go? Right. Two, if you're trying to increase or double the student population at Madison Park High School, how are you doing that by having an admissions policy that will decrease the amount of students going to Madison Park High School by 30%? Right. And by the way, like, why isn't school committee asking for a programming update? on Madison Park? Like if you're going, because you need something to sell. If you're going to double admissions, 
to Madison Park, you need a product that- I think the superintendent said there'll be some sort of task force or somebody who's gonna start advising on that. Maybe. Well, the task force are interesting because she definitely talked about a task force last night for the O'Brien. And yeah. I think there's for a group me, too. That's that, gonna, yeah. So that does seem like, okay, community engagement. It also seems like, huh, this is just gonna be a lot of talk about this for a year or two, right? Yeah. That's like, and so, and when does the mayor, when is she up for reelection? A couple of years. Yeah. It just feels very convenient and it feels very disruptive to the current student body and faculty at both of those schools. The lack of clarity is really problematic. And actually, Jill, this this sort of led into the superintendent's evaluation where we heard about these issues around communication and clarity, particularly around engagement of the community in decision-making. Let's get into the superintendent's evaluation. Um, what we heard last night was that there's great differences in school committee members' evaluations of the superintendent. Really um, different. You know, this is a bit of a transition year for the superintendent. She came in, if you remember, started after the school year started. Uh, many of the decisions around budget and staffing were made prior to the superintendent coming. Right. You know, to some degree, the superintendent's saying, look, I, I created a lot of stability in the school system this past year, and this will be the year that we make improvements overall. But it was very clear from the school committee members' ratings, Jill, that some school committee members rated the superintendent needs improvement um, on a number of standards, particularly around management and operations and community engagement. And the issues that were raised here were around payroll, you know, people literally being paid on time, as well as engaging the community in these major decisions, particularly around the O'Brien and um, Madison Park High School. Right. But we also did hear from some school committee members that the superintendent was exemplary on all the standards. So Jill, it, what is clear is that we have a school committee that is has different points of view on the superintendent's performance, but I think everyone agrees that a lot of these issues were from the prior administration and uh, everyone wants to give the superintendent a clear chance of making dramatic improvement this year. Yeah, it, you know, though, one of the downsides of having such a wide range of opinions that are so disparate on her performance is that I, I think it'd be hard for them to give clear direction. Right. So, so some members saying we, we view this as being exemplary and yeah. we view this as being needs improvement. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, what, are you, what, what does one do to that when they have to go out and execute? Right. And I think, Am I the, good? did I do well? Did I not do well? I, you know, it's very. And th this is going to be interesting going forward, Jill. I, I believe the school committee has decided to have a retreat in a public retreat this fall to work on the superintendent's goals for the right. year. And I think this is going to be really helpful if it's done well to create some measurable outcome goals for the superintendent that everybody can agree upon. And so we'll see if that happens. Hopefully it will in the next few months. So then the right at the end of the meeting, they call for new business and often no one has new business. But last night, Brandon Cardet Hernandez had two points um, that he wanted to raise in new business. He, one, wanted to ask that the committee schedule a time to publicly discuss administrative assignment. And his second comment was this about the exam school policy. We'll be entering the process for um, admissions for next year within, you know, the next few months. And I want to make sure that we are revisiting that policy, the unintended consequences and the possibility of doing what I've, we've heard a lot of folks come to the table asking for, which is to direct the 10 points to income eligible families and not cluster by neighborhood. Jill, I thought this, I thought Mr. Cadet Hernandez, his point around the exam school policy was really interesting. He 
to call on the school committee and the superintendent to come back to have this conversation around ensuring that the students most in need are the ones who get points to gain access to the exam schools and to do so this fall before the next assignment uh, round comes along uh, was pretty powerful and, and very clear. So we'll see if the school committee and the superintendent respond. And the meeting ended with big news big from news. Chairwoman Robinson. The next school committee meeting will be in person at the bowling building in Roxbury. Here we go. Um, so this will be a hybrid meeting. So, you know, all of our listeners feel free to attend in person, uh, but you could also still zoom in if you would like. But, um, but there's now there's, there's some public comment limits. It seems like they're going to limit public comment, the initial public comment to one hour, and, and they're going to give preference to those who go in person for public comment. And then apparently everybody else will get to go for their comment later after the meeting. After it's like the at meeting. the very end of the meeting. Yeah. So we'll so see. You get to stay up. Yeah. If you, if you want to provide a comment as a public participant in this yeah. public school system, and you maybe have to take care of kids or have a job that won't allow you to show up in person or whatever the case might be. You got to go last. You're going to go yeah. last. We'll see if it holds up. We'll see if this holds up. But it, I think it is great that people are back in person. Yeah. I think it's great that the meeting um, will have that personal touch to it. Uh, and I do, I agree with you, Jill. I hope that they don't discriminate against people who have to zoom in. And that's what happened last night at the Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. We want to hear from you. If you have thoughts or concerns about how BPS is serving your students, please send us an email at podcast at shawfoundation.org. That's S-H-A-H foundation.org. Thank you for listening to Last Night at School Committee. We hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please rate, review, like, and share it with your fellow friends, parents, and residents of Boston. We all have a stake in the future success of Boston's students. Have a great day.